happy game day. Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd, joined as always by my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drantz, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Drantzers already. Were you even rubbing con- his eyes? <laughs> Were you even conscious of the dad hum you just did to that song before oh, yeah. we went on air. Yes. Just to give our listeners an idea here, we're, we're about to go on air and the pan flute theme music starts playing. And Jamie's immediately, because he loves this theme music. I do. It's like so peppy. And he's like, and then he stops and hits the button and starts talking. Hey! I get my energy up right before I go on air. I was mind blowing. Right before I go on air. That was the daddest thing you've ever done. It's all part of the process. That was like more dad life than your bear sweater. (laughs) (laughs) Or my sensible uh, flannel and khaki look that I'm rocking today. Also very dad life. No, that's that's like solid fall wear. I'm I'm actually going to give you credit. I'd wear that. Thank you. I'd appreciate that. Uh, We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 25 500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at D-L-E-A-M-C.com. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line and Drancer. Opening day. We're here. Opening day, baby. We are here. Canucks. What a beautiful day for it, by the way. Hosting the Oilers. Yeah, no kidding. At Rogers Arena. Tonight, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and the Edmonton Oilers. And uh, it's all very exciting. Now, there's uh, we have a lot to get Hockey to is in the air, Jamie. That's right. Hockey is in the air. No, honestly, it's going to be a fun night out. It's going to be great to see NHL hockey live in this city. It's going to be great to see Connor McDavid live in this city. Yep. And it's going to be awesome to see Canucks hockey back. Whether you're going to the game, whether you're tuning in to hear Shorty and, and DT... Uh, do the broadcast, like it, it, whether you're tuning in to Batch mm-hmm. uh, on 650, uh, like it's going to be awesome just to have hockey back, just to have our, our usual routine of three Canucks games a week and then you tune in here and, you know, I'll have something, you know, mean to say about it. It'll be, <laughs> it'll be a ton of fun. Let's go. Or maybe you won't. Maybe it'll be a flawless Honestly, performance. I want to say this. I hope I don't. That would be great. I would love not to. Now, We'll get into it, but I guess let's. Can, can, do you mind if I just quickly do the game notes, or do we have those to pay still? Well, no, no, no. We're we're good. Okay. I, oh, one thing I'll say is we have the crossover with Donnie and Dolly coming up yeah. for about five minutes. Five minutes, really quickly, uh, and then this show will really go off the rails. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, Canucks took the ice at Rogers Arena for a morning skate today, uh, Wednesday, October eleventh, opening day of the twenty twenty three twenty four season. Teddy Bluger, Guillaume Brisebois, Carson Soucy all absent. Ilya Mikheyev ruled out per Rick Tockett. Vasily Podkolzin has been reassigned to Abbotsford. No surprise there. His inclusion on the opening day roster was always simple cap maneuvers. And Akito Hirose recalled. The club looks like they are going to, barring one of Bluger or Brisebois being in the lineup, and Rick Tockett described them as... Game time decisions. I think there's no way Breezebois is a game time decision. Breezebois, he hasn't skated since he played on Wednesday. Or hasn't skated with the team, I should since, say. Since he left the game. Yeah. We haven't seen him practice since. Um, uh, no way. And I, also you have. I'm, I'm willing to go out on a limb and, and say no chance. With the call up from sending Pod Colson down, you brought up a defenseman. So you do have six healthy yeah, defensemen. With, so and, it, and that alone, you'd, you'd have brought up him on if you thought there was yeah. a chance Breezebois could play. Yeah, so I don't I don't see Breezebois getting in. Bluger is interesting to me because the first report we had from Tockett was 
uh, at one of the practices after the Calgary game, and Tockett said, you know, it's it's a bruise. He wanted to practice today, but I just wanted to be cautious. Now, he hasn't skated with the team since then. I wouldn't be shocked if Bluger gets in, just so you can they can have dress a full complement of forwards tonight. But... I'm sure he'll try. Yeah. You know, like, I'm sure he'll try. But if he doesn't play, the Canucks don't have the cap space to replace him, which means they'll probably play with 11 forwards and six defensemen. And before you say that means that they'll play shorthanded, there's a chance that Edmonton yeah. plays with 19 <laughs> players because Matthias Ekholm, Matthias Ekholm may go as a seventh defenseman, but he may not. Um, Ekholm's so crucial to what they're doing. I see no reason why you just like plug him into the lineup to play PK. Like get him healthy. You need, you need him healthy. Yeah. Especially if you're the Oilers. Now, I don't love that the Canucks are in this boat. They will have the opportunity to use emergency conditions, right? They're, they're already in emergency conditions, but you can use, you can get a cap exemption for emergency conditions and recall a guy who's, you know, uh, uh, under a certain level. It's 875K at the NHL level, but there's also a certain level that their AHL salary has to be at. Mm. So it, it, you don't have your full gamut of options. And like, for example, Cole McWard wouldn't be recallable into an emergency conditions cap exemption. Uh, but they will get that after they play one full game shorthanded. So uh, at the very least, they should be able to ice a full lineup for game two in Edmonton. But hopefully you start to get some of these guys back. Uh, we'll get into that because at the end of the day, as we enter the Canucks first game of the year, I do feel like we're dealing with, I'm going to call it a Canucks opening night hat trick. Trade rumors surrounding a player an injury crisis, and a cap crunch all coming to bear all at once. And and I still don't think that the Garland distraction angle is, is like a particularly potent one. This team's dealt with far more significant distractions over the last three years as opposed to a business-like professional player who's been on the trade block for two years changing agents and trying to accelerate his ability to find a, 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 di a better fit elsewhere. Uh, to me, that's not the issue. The issue is that this team has been built around the concept of fleshing out their depth and raising their floor, you know, that that's been the whole idea of this offseason. Like, this is a team that has a superstar player bridged. Mm -hmm. What's the benefit of bridging a superstar player? It allows you to spend more elsewhere. This is a team that executed this summer the biggest total value buyout, uh, non-compliance buyout in, in the history of the NHL's cap era. Uh, and they spent that money to flesh out the depth of their team. And here we are, game one, possibility that the Canucks may have to play shorthanded. Third pair of Juleson and Hirose. Hirose. And, you know, all of a sudden, the, the enhanced depth that we've been talking about around this team for an awfully long time compromised it's it's like, like perhaps fundamentally and like, for me it's it's the depth thing and it's also you know we've talked a lot about where the depth was targeted and the depth additions were targeted and it was so much about you know as you said raising the floor specifically defensively right making sure you didn't lose the plot in your defensive zone and let games get away from you you know in the snap of a finger in the snap of your fingers and uh, the two of the players who are potentially missing Susie uh, and Teddy Bluger, Bluger's a game-time decision, but those are key guys brought in to help you defensively, to help you on the penalty kill. And, you know, I was really looking forward to this matchup with Edmonton. I still am, obviously, but one of the things I wanted to see was, okay, now that it's for real, how do you 
stack up with the vaunted Oilers power play. And mm. it's going to be, you know, at best an in- incomplete grade kind of here because like yeah. two key guys, Bluger and Susie, oh. might not be in the line. And Bluger would be the first guy over the boards. Are we bringing in our guys? We are doing it. If, uh, oh, yeah, there we go. More theme music. The back to the Brady Bunch. Bunch. Yeah. Hey, you hear that music, uh, it can only mean one thing. It is time here on Canucks Talk for the crossover with Donnie and Dolly, now joined by Don Taylor and Rick Dollywall. Of course, you can catch them uh, every day on Check TV uh, on Donnie and Dolly from 10 to noon. Fellas, how you doing? You excited for game one of the season here tonight? Oh, absolutely. Can't wait. Never a dull moment with, with, no. with, the, with the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Donnie, can I ask you, We're by the way? Echo. Oh, are you? Hold on a second. We're getting an echo in our headset. Oh, I'm okay. getting Rick twice. This is bad. Oh, okay. echo, you never, echo, echo, never echo, want echo. that. It better getting Rick twice than me, though, Donnie. <laughs> hey, get your. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. All right. Well, we're gonna. Your... <laughs> we're gonna fade these guys out, I guess. And uh, are we? Well, I'm, I see them talking, and I'm not hearing anything. So yeah. I guess we're fading, fading them out. Um, I want to say, by the way, if you get. Rick Dollywall twice, that means you're getting two scoops. It's a Raisin Bran audio issue. <laughs> Excuse me? Yeah, he scoops Dollywall. Oh, okay. You're getting two scoops. You're getting the Raisin Bran audio issue. I see. Uh, we, we'll get it back going with uh, with Donnie and Dolly here as we continue to work through uh, some technical issues. You know, it's just a lot. I don't know. Or apparently it is. To, hey. <laughs> to have video and audio from two places Hello? simultaneously. Yes, we got him. We there got we go. We can hear you. You got an echo there, guys? Hello? Good, good. No echo. No, no echo. Wow. Everything's fine. Fantastic. Our technicians are working uh, feverishly. That's <laughs> right. Whatever that word is. <laughs> <laughs> One day we'll do a crossover that stays on the rails, I'm sure. No, I don't think so. I, <laughs> I would be very surprised by that. Uh, Drant, you're going to ask Donnie something. I did. I wanted to ask Donnie just historically, right? You've you've been around for a lot. Well, I don't mean to, I, question. I don't Here mean we to do go. the old guy yeah. question, but I'm, I also mean to do the old guy question. Where where does the last twenty four hours rank for you among like oh, gosh, among yeah. like distractions or or situations going into a Canucks uh, opening night? Right, because you've got the Garland trade request. You had the the is the club um, desperate to sign Pedersen if he's not committed to them long term, and then you've got the injuries oh, and the possibility yeah. that the club plays short. Um, and and let me actually phrase it like this: Has the club ever gone into opening night with everything, with there not being something like this hanging over them? Well, you know, the '80s was so bad. Other than '82, <laughs> you know, I can't think of anything. I, sorry, Rick. I know you love the '80s, but uh, I can't think of anything though that was this bad. And it's not like you, know, yeah. Thomas, you, myself, everybody here, uh, Jamie. Rick, we get we get criticized a lot for being mm. negative. But in this case, we're just spewing out facts, right? I mean, they haven't made the playoffs seven of the last eight years. There are injuries. There's there's illness. Their uh, their star player or one of their star players has yet to be extended. Another top six forward uh, looks like he wants out of town. So you just spew out the facts. I can't remember anything like this. It just seems like such a Canuck way uh, to start a season. Maybe maybe un- unprecedented. Yeah, I agree with Donnie, and it, I didn't see this coming this week, guys. I, I just mm-hmm. thought, hey, the Oilers in town, the regular season opener, new season. Hey, look, uh, all summer long, 
you know, we were told it, it's going to be a better product. I liked what they did on July 1st. They improved the penalty killing. They only allowed one power play goal in the last five preseason games. You know, and and then first the Pedersen story earlier this week, guys, and then the Garland yesterday just dropped like a bomb day before the regular season opener. It's just, I hate to say it, but it's just Canucks luck in the last few years. I, 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 if you, for those that wanted just to talk hockey, wasn't going to be it wasn't going to be happening this week guys you know you know on the Garland one I was a little surprised by how much reaction there was against Garland specifically or kind of anger at Connor Garland because it's not like this yeah. is coming out of nowhere yeah. you know it, his name has been out there and it doesn't sound like he you know stormed into Patrick Alvin's office and demanded a trade like it kind of sounds nope. like this is both sides thinking hey maybe we can find a win-win yeah. deal here you can go somewhere else we can get some cap relief I don't know that the Garland one should really end up being a big distraction Action hanging over this team when you consider all of the the facts and the circumstances around it. Yeah, I think that the team would would like them to facilitate a trade that yeah. would be good for uh, both sides. I think that they'd be fine with that. And Rick's made the point several times that this goes way back. They've been trying to uh, unload Connor Garland for quite a while. This is no surprise. But when you hear that he hired a new agent, it just it just seems like you know. There's no question that he wants to get the ball rolling. Uh, he's tired of all this and, you know, maybe tired of that. At least that's the way fans are going to look at it. You know, tired of the city, tired of all the losing, and he wants to quit on the team. That's the perception, I think, that's out there. And we, I don't know about you guys, and I heard this with uh, Halford and Bruff uh, earlier today, and we had the same sort of thing. People are wondering if he's going to get booed tonight. Yeah. So he looks like somewhat of a villain, even though the Canucks would probably be okay with what's going on. Do you think that's fair, Rick, based on what you understand of the situation? is? Uh, do we have this right in terms of the public perception around Garland? Yeah, I, I'm just going to tell you, I, I do not believe he asked for a trade request. I get the feeling the Canucks think it's a win-win for both sides if the agent can help. And uh, they can move out that contract in a very tight cap world. They've been trying for a year and a half to move this guy. They can't do it. Connor Garland didn't ask for a trade in the summer. That's the time to ask for a trade in the summer and tell the Canucks, look, get me out of here. You got eight, nine, ten weeks. You never ask for a trade before the regular season opener, guys. You don't do that. No one does that. When's the last time a guy asked for a trade before the regular season opener? No way. Uh, This was the situation where the new agent called the Canucks and they said, hey, uh, you know, can we work together to facilitate? No different than Brock Besser and Ben Hankinson last year mm. uh, in November got together and said, hey, can we work together uh, to make it happen? But this is a tough contract to move, guys. Yeah. They, if the Vancouver Canucks couldn't move him in the past year, how's the, how's the new agent going to move him? Yeah. Um, you got to put up uh, – you guys know this. You got to put up – a sweetener, or you got to retain money to get rid of Garland. That's the bottom line. Well, and the other thing is, I look at Garland, and yeah, okay, he's making too much money, but it's not as if he's been a zero for you in the lineup. Like, he's been productive. It's streaky mm. and all that. Maybe he's not performing at the level you want, but even if you did find a taker for him, and we know this team is all in on making the playoffs and taking that step forward, you still have to find a way to get another player into the lineup in that spot, right? To bring somebody else in to replace yep. and maybe even improve. And I just think that's really hard to do during the season, right? And that's just another layer of why I think it's going to be really difficult for a, a Garland trade to get done. Yeah, and you you, you make the, the, the point, uh, Thomas, I, I believe that this is a player who over the last two seasons, over his two seasons with the Canucks, 90-plus points. Yep, that's right. And, and not a ton of power play time. Yeah. 
And you know, maybe there's a part of him would like to have an expanded mm. role when it comes to special teams or when it when it when it comes uh, to the yeah. to the power play. So, uh, you know, I, I, he he's got a case. If he, I would say, uh, you know, you could argue against it that okay, I haven't been used properly here, and I'd, l- I'd like to go on to uh, somewhere else where I where I get used properly. Maybe there's uh there's some winning, especially if the team wouldn't mind moving on from yeah. me. That's true. And and guys, I my sense is the Canucks don't have an issue with the player. The issue is with the contract. Um, you know, they're right. What do they got, Thomas? Zero uh, cap dollars to spend? I mean, are they right, uh, they, right at the top? They top? might not have a full lineup tonight, Rick, depending on the health status of They might not have a full yeah. lineup. Like, they how... might have to dress 19 guys. Yeah. That's oh, how little man. cap space they have. Against, mm-hmm. and against, uh, you know, not exactly the San Jose Sharks. No. You know, you're the, the, the league's MVP <laughs> and two of the best players in the world are coming into town. Yeah, they're, they're sharks of a different Among type. Others. Can I? Can I? I want to throw this at you guys, and I want to get your reaction. Okay, are you ready for this, Connor Garland? We know are we he going back in history again? No, no, we're not. Connor Garland. Okay. We know he doesn't play a ton. I don't of, mind that, by the way. Uh, fair enough. Me neither. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, so Connor Garland, we know he doesn't play a ton of power play, but if we look at five on five scoring, okay, he's twelfth yep. among all NHL right wings. Since joining the Vancouver Canucks organization in that terrible trade uh, that Oliver Ekman Larson was also involved in, um, actually, oh. uh, sorry, he's actually eleventh because Tage Thompson's a center and he's listed incorrectly here. Actually, he's tenth because so's Meek. Uh, so, sorry, so's Clayton Keller, Mitch Marner, David Pasternak, Rantanen, Nylander, Timo Meyer, Nikita Kucherov, Tarasenko, Troy Terry, Patrick Kane, Connor Garland. That's the list, wow. and he's the forty-second highest-paid right wing. Percapfriendly.com. What am I missing? What am I missing? I mean, I know he's short. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think well, it's that, fair to say he can cheat it. for offense, but it's like, what am I missing here that this guy's, you know, a, a net negative to the point that not only has the club been trying to trade him for years, but now his agent's involved uh, aggressively soliciting yeah. to try and find that deal. What you just said there, I think, is is spot on. I, there's still some old school thinking in the National Hockey League, and I'm not saying that you know Connor Garland is you know a, a perennial All Star, one of the great players of all time, but he's small, small. and I, I just wonder, like, what Jim Rutherford, who I think leans towards, <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty safe in saying old school way of thinking. I think Rick Tockett does as well, and you mm. you know they would look at Connor Garland as a small, smaller player. He, he'll skate in circles sometimes around <laughs> the periphery, yes, and I will. think that might drive them nuts. And they don't look at the at, at, at the numbers like you are right there, uh, uh, Thomas. So I, I think that that's part of it. But like Rick said, I think it's more about the contract than it is about the oh, player. Yeah. Well, and I would say I another, think it's about the contract, guys. And oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying another part of it. Is, and I like Garland, but you know, you're not going to use him on the penalty kill. You're probably not going to use him in like tough minutes against. No, so yeah. so you, you have to have a very specific spot for him in the lineup. I think he can do that job well, right? As a guy maybe on your third line who drives offense, but. It's not somebody that you feel like, okay, he can do, he can solve a bunch of different problems for us. I think that drives some uh, of it too. And, and I do think for Jim Rutherford, historically anyway, it's okay if you're small, but you better be an elite skater, right? And, mm. and, and it's okay if you're yeah. not scoring the most, but you better be hitting guys. And I, I just think Connor Garland doesn't fit either of those. Like he's not pugnacious enough, nor is, ooh, pugnacious, nor is he. Um, quick Ooh, enough good. Uh, north-south to sort of fit that, that Rutherford M.O. that we're used to when he fills out the bottom end of his lineup. 
anyway, it's weird. Like, yeah, it's, I, I just you know, feel like the perception yeah, doesn't yeah. match the reality with this guy. You know what? Every once in a while, and I am completely off base here, especially when it comes to people who love their old school hockey. Oh. Every once in a while, you see him in front of the net. Yeah. And he's not afraid. No, he goes that, there. You know, dirty I, areas. I, he does go to the dirty areas. You know how he leans down low on his stick and <laughs> yeah, chokes I, up on I, it. I, I kind of like that. And they, yeah, and I and and they and it's been fairly effective. But we haven't seen uh, m- much of that. So I, 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 if I'm him, I'm wondering if I, I, I get why he might wonder uh, about the opportunity he's getting in, in in Vancouver. But again, that contract's tough to move. And guys, you know, Donnie's going to kill me for saying this, but I. <laughs> I talked to Garland's uh, old. <laughs> I talked to Garland's old oh agent Peter gosh. Cooney this morning. Listen, our whole show has been about uh, Peter, Peter Cooney. Cooney. He's a good guy. He's out of uh, uh, Peter Boston. Cooney, Boston, you- not nah, Boston, Springfield area. Listen, I talked to Garland's old agent Cooney this morning. What are you laughing at? He's, he's on the Simpsons, apparently. Uh, no, Cooney's a good guy. I've known goodness. him ten, fifteen, twenty years. No, Springfield. Remember the what was it, Donnie? The Springfield Indians basketball Hall of Fame. Yeah, with Eddie Shore. Yeah, he right. owned that. Uh, Cooney owned that team many years ago. Anyways, look, <laughs> Rod. Uh, uh, what, what's your name, Thomas? Thomas, <laughs> listen, uh. Cooney. Look what they've had to put up with in the last year and a half. If you're Connor Garland in Vancouver, he, he's heard his name at two trade deadlines every single day. He's heard his name in Vancouver and trade rumors all the time. Right. So it's, there's got to be a part of him saying, hey, look, if you guys want me out of town so bad, well, then let, maybe my new agent can help facilitate that. Mm-hmm. But I, you don't if you guys don't think that trade rumors at the trade deadline with Vancouver Canucks affect them and their families, Donnie and I don't agree on this, but <laughs> it affects their families. Damn right it does. They see stuff all the time. Right. So, I, you know, for a year and a half, the Canucks have been trying to get rid of this guy. He hears it every single day when he's in Vancouver. I will say, though, Garland. Pretty tough when you're making 495. Ah, stop it, Don. <laughs> I will say, though, Garland seems like the type that I, I really don't think is going to be bothered by this. I don't think there's going to be a there might be a dark cloud around him in terms of the fan base uh, reaction. But I don't think you're going to see a different Connor Garland on the ice at any point as this uh, situation plays out, most likely in slow motion. Hey, can we change gears? Are you OK? Sure. With that? Yeah, um, of course. Let's yeah, let's. Yeah. I was thinking. Yeah, I was unless thinking. there's any more Peter Cooney talk to get into, but other, <laughs> other than that, we can change it. <laughs> hey, Cooney's a good guy. He's a good guy. Yeah, Springfield. Yeah, Springfield. Springfield. I, I was thinking, having having done the uh, distractions around the team bit, I was thinking, why don't we why yeah. don't we talk about why don't we make predictions? Why don't we do a prediction? Like just like a straight up Canucks to make the playoffs? Yes, no, and then you can caption it with like a, a half paragraph. Or, or two paragraphs in my case, because that's what I need to say some, something simple um, to, uh, <laughs> to, uh, to sort of describe where you think the Canucks finish, where, where do you, how you think the season plays out. What do you think? You guys into that? Yeah, I'm game. Go ahead, Donnie. No, you go. You go. No, you go, Donnie. Go, no, Donnie, no. Donnie go. What, what would Peter Cooney do? What would Peter <laughs> Cooney say? WWCD. Yeah, I'll just say because I've been around since 1970 and recent history and the turmoil surrounding the ter- team to start that they're not going to make the playoffs. It might be tough. It's going to be tough to get off to a good start. You know, Vegas, Edmonton, L- L.A., the, the three teams, right, yeah. that mm-hmm. finished top three in the Pacific. Who drops? I'm I'm not sure if anybody does. So, uh, it, it, does Calgary get better without Sutter around? 
I think I have a feeling that they will. So who 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 drops from there? Who who rises? Is Vancouver going to be one of those teams? It's going to have to be a wild card. Maybe Minnesota drops mm-hmm. in in the Central. I'm not sure. I I just don't see it, guys. I think they're going to be better, but I don't think they make the playoffs. Okay, three things have to happen for them to make the playoffs. Health is one, uh, because yep. you know the depth isn't there, guys. You know that. So let's not get into 10. How did they, what did they finish last year, guys? 11 injuries? 10 injuries? Can't do that. There's not enough uh, depth to sustain that. Demko's obviously going to have to have one of his greatest years ever. Uh, his health is going to be important. But more important, the backup goaltender gives you good 20-25 starts. And, guys, the last three years the start of this hockey club. Mm. It's, it's, it costs Travis Green his job. It costs Boudreaux his job. You cannot get behind the ball in October, November, play catch-up in December, and then in March, April, decide it's over. We're, we're going for a top pick. The health of this team, Demko, and the fast start, those three things. So are they going to make it, it or not? I'm telling you. I, I just told you. If those three things happen, they're making the playoffs. All right, Man, I've been. Uh, is, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've been going back and forth on this a lot. It's really, really tough. I think I'm going to pick them just outside at ninth in the Western God. Conference. I think fifth in the Pacific, but four teams in the Central uh, will manage to get in. So I think it's going to be like right, right down to the wire. I think you mentioned the start, Rick. I think these next two games against Edmonton. I'm not saying that's the season or anything, but like yep. considering everything that's happened in the last 48 hours. Go do something really positive on the ice. Give yourself a chance to forget about it and get off to a good start. But I think it's going to come right down to the wire, but I'm picking them ninth in the West. But see, I shouldn't have been left to last because my natural contrarian streak now wants yeah. to zag and pick them to make it. And yet, <laughs> Do it. And do yet, it. Here's my concern. Here's my concern. I, I want to have this question answered for me at the start of the season because we've all – the start, the start, the start, right? Yeah. Everything's mm-hmm. about the start. Here's my yeah. concern about a team that always starts slow and doesn't just start slow to start the season – but, like, multiple coaches have said they start slow games. during games, too. Yeah. In the NHL, yeah. in the NHL, the chips are down at the start of games. In the NHL, the chips are down at the start of seasons. And, again, in March. Like, it's not just the Canucks have started slow, but, it, like, if you think about that Boudreaux bump run, it was, like, right when they got to the precipice of if they win that next one, this could be something, they'd lose. Like, when the chips are down, I haven't seen this group come through. And until I see that happen, I find it difficult to pick them to make the playoffs. That's that's what I'd say. Like, what if the start's not just about bad that's starts? No. What if it's a team that struggles when the chips yeah. are down? Well, and that's kind of what, and I'd be curious to get your guys' take on these two games against Edmonton because all of a sudden the chips do feel down a little bit, and you're going up against Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, and these games feel like go get a result tonight, go get three points out of these games, do something to give yeah. put a little wind in your sails going into the rest of the season here. <laughs> Jamie, I think people would be happy with one point out of these two games. Like honestly, if they yeah. if if there's an overtime loss and there a shootout loss, I think people might be happy. And on you go from there. I'm also wondering about ticket sales. You know, I, I'm worried about Francesco here and and Peter Cooney. But I, I'm worried about Francesco here. In, what what happens if they if they, it's a five game road trip to start? They play Edmonton at home. Oh, I know, and then they, they go on the road. They start zero and six. Are they going to be able to sell this team after that? It's, with everybody talking about you know the the start being so very very important. I mean, it's the Canucks. I it, could see anything happen. Hey guys and Thomas, you've you worked with the league. 
do, do the does the league not realize that the Vancouver Canucks and San Jose are the most traveled teams in the league, and you're going to saddle them with an Eastern road trip right off the bat? Do you see the Devils and the Rangers and the Flyers coming out it's west in the though. first week? Like, I, I don't get that. There, there's certain teams that are located in, in certain places where no matter what you do, they're always going to be bottom seven. By the way, both Florida teams deal with the same thing. Um, yeah. They've both been really yeah. good for the last few years. You know, at, at the end of the day, the schedule is always going to be an extra challenge for this organization. It's a reality you have to manage. Um, it's not something you it, like you can do your best to make it as favorable as possible. Different front offices have had different approaches, fewer, longer trips, uh, fewer, like more shorter trips. Like things have been tried, but mm. fundamentally you, you need to win enough games. Like fundamentally you need to organizationally <laughs> just get it done. Uh, yeah. We'll let you guys go, Rick. Be I know, good. I know you got to get to the parking meter, so I, I hope it hasn't run out. No, 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 no. I, I, I just got to extend it. No, no. I just got a call from Peter Cooney. I got to go. <laughs> All right. Have a great one, guys. Enjoy the game tonight. We will do this again next Thanks, guys. week. That is uh, Don Taylor and Rick Dollywall, of course, of Donnie and Dolly, every day on Check TV from ten to noon. Joining us here, as they do every Wednesday for the crossover. I actually think that was our most on the rails edition. Yet, which is a low bar, admittedly, for that segment. But uh, we're, like, we're, like we're the, slowly getting better. I like the text. Love Drance being impressed with his own vocabulary. <laughs> I noticed that, too. I was like, <laughs> you, you can't be the one to notice the word you said. Stop I, mid-sentence. I, I, <laughs> pat yourself in the back. No, you, know, you know how sometimes your mouth moves faster than your brain? Oh, yes. Yeah, okay. So the, the, that was one of those moments, and then Pugnacious just kind of spilled out. I was like, ooh, <laughs> I like that one. Oh, I'm glad somebody in the inbox picked that one up because I noticed that as well. Uh, All right, we'll take a break. We got a lot to get to today. Of course, it is game one of the season for the Canucks. Mark Spector will join us at one uh, to to give us a little preview of the Edmonton side of things uh, tonight. But again, lots more to get to, including uh, audio from the coach, more season's predictions, takeaways from last night's slate of NHL games. Whole lot more coming up here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strands, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Tune in to the Sportsnet Radio Friday Soccer Report brought to you by Cassiero Del Diablo Wines and the Way to Be a Legend contest, the chance to win a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip to England for the ultimate Manchester United experience, including a chance to play a football game at Old Trafford, where Manchester United legends will make an appearance. No purchase necessary. Conditions apply. Must be legal drinking age. Casiero Del Diablo, available at BC Liquor. Please enjoy responsibly. Enter in-store or visit CasieroManchester.com. It is... Canucks game day, the first of the regular season of a new season for the team hosting the Edmonton Oilers at Rogers Arena. Uh, we talked a little bit about the injury updates and everything and the possibility of uh, the team potentially playing with only 19 players dressed today. Uh, you know, it looks like it would be 11 forwards, six defensemen, two goalies. Uh, 
didn't really have a chance to run down exactly how the lineup and everything looked at Morning Skate. We'll hear from Rick Tockett in this segment as well. So not a ton of surprises the way they were uh, were skating at Rogers Arena this morning. This morning it was Patterson centering the top line between Kuzmenko and Garland, JT Miller. Uh, in his familiar position now with Phil Giuseppe and Brock Besser. Uh, Dakota Joshua, Hugh Suter, and Anthony Beauvillier on the third line. Niels Hoaglander, Sam Lafferty at center, and Ilya Mikheyev on the fourth line, but we know Mikheyev is not going to play tonight. And then uh, on the blue line, it was Quinn Hughes and Philip Ronick, Ian Cole and Tyler Myers, and Akito Hirose and Noah Juleson rounding out the blue line. And I think really for me, in terms of potential takeaways from tonight. And obviously you want to be very, very careful overreacting or drawing too much uh, from game one of the season. But, you know, I mentioned the PK just before we got Donnie and Dolly on, and I still think that's going to be really worth watching, even though they could be missing a couple of key penalty killers. But the other thing for me is how does the defense by committee concept look in a real game where the opposition is going full speed, where you have two hyper elite players on the other side, right? Like how does, when the rubber hits the road and you're really trying to win these games and there's points at stake and they matter, how does the blue line by committee thing actually look? How long do Hughes and Hronick stay together? What do their minutes look like? Again, it's a little bit different because Carson Soucy's not going to be in the lineup. So maybe that's a, that's an asterisk on the whole thing. But I think that might be the thing I'm most curious to watch for the Canucks tonight is just what do they do with their blue line and how does that deployment look? Yeah, and, you know, we've only seen Hironic and Hughes play one preseason game as a set mm-hmm. pair. The Oilers are going to have Dreisaitl and McDavid, or at least their projected lineup features Dreisaitl and McDavid on different lines. Dreisaitl with Hyman and... Ryan Nugent Hopkins and McDavid with his old junior line mate Connor Brown uh, making his Oilers debut tonight in Vancouver and um, Evander Kane, local kid. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, do you think Dane Fox, who was the third line mate for that Erie Otters team, former Canucks prospect yes. Dane Fox, is just like sitting by a phone waiting <laughs> for a call? What is Dane Fox up to right now? <laughs> like Dane Fox the- uh, playing in Germany. He's the straight up. No, you know what he's doing right now? He's the Squidward meme. Looking at no, he's he's getting ready to represent the Nuremberg Ice Tigers as he has done for the last uh, several seasons. No, he's Squidward looking at Patrick and and SpongeBob <laughs> holding hands and having fun. That's that's Dane Fox. Anyway, I I didn't love what I saw from Hughes Heronic in that first preseason game, which isn't to say that I don't think it's going to work. I think both players are really good, but I, I you know it's not like they've had a lot of time to find their stride or find or build chemistry as a pair. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I thought it looked very work in progressy, very work in progress, th- very much like a work in sure. progress. In uh, in their last preseason game against Calgary, you balanced yourself out there from patting yourself on the back over pugnacious. That time you stopped yourself and were yeah. like, "That was stupid." <laughs> I'm not smart. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, no, I, I like. What what did you think? Like, I thought my first impression of that pair uh, in that game against Calgary was, you know, and. I didn't think the Canucks had the puck a lot when they were on the ice. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very, for me, it's very much that was their first time really playing together. Totally. And I think if they and had. And it's the preseason and whatever. And, but And it was a preseason game at like 70% speed. And 100%. I think if they had been together from the start of training camp, right, and you're working to build that chemistry, it probably looks a bit a lot differently. I also think both players are good enough that, like, they're very much in that don't. 
don't pay too much attention to what they do in preseason because they're established NHL players who know what they're doing in the NHL and can perform at that level. You know what I mean? And they're kind of ready to go. They'll be ready to go uh, when game one gets going. But I do look at the at the blue line in general, and it, it I think it's fair to bring it up with Hughes and Hronick. They haven't been together much. You know, Cole and Myers got put together uh, a little bit into preseason, so they've had a few reps together, but those are new teammates that haven't had a, t- uh, a ton of time to get to know each other. And then Hirose and Juleson, and, you know, Akita Hirose was really on the outside looking in for much of training camp and preseason. Played the one game in Calgary, didn't get a lot of a shot after that. So you've got six defensemen and the configuration of six defensemen that really none of these pairs have had a chance to play together. Like, th- 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 these aren't guys that have been on the same team for a long time and have had a chance to play together in years past. I think that's going to be a really fascinating question. I mean, that's before you even get into the possibility of moving them around and switching pairs on the fly in the game. Like these guys haven't even played that much with who they're starting out the game with per per the game day skate lines. Yeah. And you know, as much doom and gloom as sometimes we have, like it's worth pointing out some objective data here, right? Like there's some steam on the Canucks odds of winning tonight. Like, if you go look look about, the Canucks opened at roughly plus 155 uh, per the per sort of a rough average of the Vegas sportsbooks. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been steamed up to plus 130, which is about a 43% chance of winning. Now, 43% chance of winning is not great, but given their opponent, and the Oilers' Stanley Cup odds are tied for second, so, like, technically third because there's two teams, yeah. uh, Carolina and uh, and the Avalanche ahead of them. But so so tied for third uh, at at ten to one, effectively, and they have the second largest handle on their odds uh, per per BetMGM, right? So it's like there's a lot of public market belief. Vegas has a lot of belief in this Oilers team, and yet you know betters are steaming the Canucks up to about a forty three forty four percent implied probability of winning tonight. Uh, you know, that's a useful data point. Like, yep. that's a pretty I – mean, they're still a home dog to open the season, but they're not a – they're but, not like an yeah, overwhelming There's going to be a lot of home dogs against Edmonton to this 100%. year. You know what I mean? Like, they're that exactly kind of right. team, right? Exactly so it's right. So that's not a big condemnation of the Canucks. No, I, I think it's a fair bit of respect. Like, this Canucks team, Vegas at least is seeing them as somewhat dangerous. Yeah. Uh, despite the fact that, you know, I, I think their price to make the playoffs, which, which is roughly the same, by the way, like their their playoff odds are roughly 43 percent implied yeah. probability. Like I think there's value there. I I think their I think their actual probability of making the playoffs is way closer to 50 50 mm. than forty three low forties or something. Yeah. And and their their points over under is eighty seven point five. And as we've gone under, like over as we've gone under as we've gone over, uh, I think that eighty seven point five is a fair bit below their actual true talent level as a team. Yeah, so and like I. I would I pick them to miss the playoffs when we when we uh, talk to Donnie and over. Yeah, I would take the over on the points well, and, though, for sure. And even if you don't think they're going to make the playoffs, if you think they're ninth, if you think they're ninth and are close, mm-hmm. you still take the forty three percent. You still take the plus one forty on yeah. them to make the playoffs because there's value there. Yeah, and it's not you know this is why you always and I think we did a good a pretty good job of uh, captioning it in a short period of time. But it's so easy to turn. And it is a binary outcome. I understand that, no, but, but it, you but just focus on oh, you chose them to make it or you chose them to miss. No, it's as arbitrary. you think they'll be amazing or you think they'll be awful. And it's like no, I think they're going to be like. Would it, would it surprise me if they made or missed the playoffs by a single point? Not at all. Like that's exactly where I think they're going to be. You it, know, if I bet hockey, Canucks eighty-seven point five would be one of the over unders that I'd be most excited about wagering on. 
Mm. Like, if honestly, um, not as excited as I would have been about wagering on Connor Bedard to have more than two point. Did you see this? His line was to have over 2.5 shots. Yeah. He had three in the first period. <laughs> he had 12 attempts. It was minus 180. I literally was just like, oh my God, if I bet hockey, I would be all over this. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the Canucks over under, the, the Sharks under. Mm. Like there's a few, there's a few that stand out to me as like things I'd be hammering. The Boston under, they're they're way too high in my opinion. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the Buffalo over. So yeah, there's a few that I'd be absolutely smacking, and the Canucks are in that category. Like I think this team's going to be a lot better. I think their goaltending alone is gonna like their goaltending just regressing to at least average and maybe better. And I think it could be better because I think Demko's really good. That alone is going to be worth a five to ten point improvement. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something that Rick brought up, right? And he he hedged. He just said, "If these things go right, yeah, he really they'll, scrolled uh, it. They'll they'll make the playoffs." But I mean, it's it's something we haven't really talked about a lot this preseason. I don't think. And then at a certain point, it's like there's only so much to say unless you're Kevin Woodley or something about goaltending, right? Like either it's going to be at whatever performance. Uh, it is, and there's only so much you can do and so much you can talk about it. But it, it is something really worth noting. Like, if Thatcher Demko has a major bounce-back season, that completely changes uh, what this team looks like. And, I mean, I guess, not that you, again, can tell from game one, but that would be another really key thing to watch in this game tonight is how does Thatcher Demko look? Um, is there anything that you are going to be kind of, you know, a, a, as you search for early signs of what this team could be, anything you're keeping your eye on specifically tonight against Edmonton? You know, I, I, I chatted with Lafferty, just to introduce myself to a new guy today. And one thing I'm really curious to see is if they play short, how they approach that. Mm. Because now, ideally, you'd have a seventh defenseman in the lineup to facilitate this. But if you... Play a forward short, there's challenges and opportunity that come with that. And one of your opportunities is to play your best players more, right? You can double shift your absolute best players and effectively increase their shift count and, you know, necessarily, right? Because even if Pedersen's playing with Lafferty and um, Hoaglander, which, you know, by the way, there's some built-in chemistry, at least with the other winger there, even if that's your look, Edmonton's not going to waste Darnell Nurse minutes on it, right? right. They're going to be more concerned about having their best guys out when Pedersen's with Pedersen, Kuzmenko. Kuzmenko yeah. yeah, so, you know, there's opportunity there. I'm really curious to see how Rick Tockett manages that. Does he, like, we saw him ride his best players down the stretch last season. Mm -hmm. uh, where do Pedersen and Miller's minutes climb to? How much? How how often do we see like a Miller Lafferty defensive zone start? Given that they can both win draws. Yep. Um. How does how does Tockett manage that? Because there are challenges there, but there's also opportunity. And and I do think it's a, a challenge too for Lafferty and Hoaglander. I mean, one thing that Hoaglander's been, I don't want to say criticized because one one thing that Tockett's been critical of Hoaglander for has been getting too fancy, right? Now, you put him on a fourth line with Bluger and Lafferty, and it's a pretty predictable game. You put him on a fourth line, and all of a sudden, Pedersen's Patterson on drops the other down. wing. Yeah, and it's an offensive zone draw and against the third pair, d right? Does a young guy trying to prove himself in the NHL continue to play the predictable game, right? Like, Lafferty's going to play the same way. But Hoaglander feels like a bit of a wild card mm. in, that, in that type of deployment. So I'm really curious to see how that plays out. 
uh, what the dynamic is as a result of the choices that Rick Tockett makes. Uh, and then and then here's the other one. I'm really curious to see how the Canucks match up. Like the Oilers have two lines, and the Canucks have the decision to do final change, right? But they have two tough minutes lines. Like they have two of the top five lines in hockey coming at you tonight. And the Canucks have Hughes and Hironic on one pair, mm-hmm. and Tyler Myers, Ian Cole on the other. And typically, Canucks coaches and this was true for green this was true for boudreau um you know have only selectively like the myers ekman larson pair would have been sort of a a moment in time where we saw myers play toughs but for the most part it's been pretty selective that myers has been thrown into toughs the canucks need really big contributions really safe minutes from Cole from and Myers, Myers and Cole. It's a big ask. Like, it's a very big ask. And then I think it's going to be up to the coaching staff, too, to really find the opportunities to get Juleson and Hirose out there, right? And, like, as safe. Not that there's... At least they're at, least they're at home, though. Yeah, right? exactly, like, right? So you can do that to a certain harder, degree. It's going to be harder for Woodcroft to jump that group. And yet, I'd watch for that. I'd, I'd watch for... You know, a random shift where you're like, oh, Connor McDavid's on the ice with McLeod? Yeah, how did that happen? Yeah. I, I'd watch for that. Like, I, I would not be surprised at all if Edmonton, despite being on the road, and so you can only really do it in open play, yeah. uh, tried to find some opportunities to jump the bottom end the of the point The point about the Miller workload and Patterson's workload as well, because ta- you're right, Tockett played those guys a lot, understandably so. I think when you look at especially the rest of the lineup he had down the stretch last year, you look at how the lineup sets – uh, this year, too, and especially with Bluger potentially not in the mix. We'll see. Game time decision. But if he's not able to go, you know, that's a guy who probably could have uh, soaked up at least some defensive minutes for you, right? Not that he was going to be your primary matchup guy, but some of the secondary defensive minutes, you can throw him out there. He would have been maybe the first guy over the boards in the penalty kill. And now if you're playing with 11 forwards and you are looking for those chances, understandably, to double shift Miller and Pedersen, and you're asking both of those guys to carry a really big burden against McDavid and Dreisaitl, and maybe you have to use them more prominently on the penalty kill, like the minutes start to add up in a... They're both on PP1, of course, as well. The minutes start to add up in a really, really big way. And look, hey, it's game one of the season. Maybe you think it's something you need to do. But I think that's something that really bears uh, bears monitoring, especially as the team gets ready to head out onto the road. And, you know, where can you can you find those minutes for other guys to make sure that, yeah, you're going to lean on Miller and Pedersen, make sure it doesn't get completely uh, out of control in game one of the season here. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You continue to get your thoughts in. Up next, he covers the Edmonton Oilers for Sportsnet. Uh, our guy, Mark Spector, will join the show uh, to tell us everything going on in Oilerland as they get set to play the Canucks in their first game of the season. That's coming up here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Big Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strands, 
Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line and uh, joining us momentarily from Sportsnet uh, will be Mark Spector, who of course covers the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, and in fact, right now we have him on the line. He covers the Oilers uh, for Sportsnet. Always a pleasure to have him on the show. He is Mark Spector. Speck, thanks for doing this as always. How are you? Do we have you there, Mark? Yes. Sir. All right. There we go. Hello. We didn't hear you. Yeah, we got, we got you now. We're good. How, how are you? Thanks for doing this. Doing great, man. Nice to be in Vancouver to open a season here. Let's get moving. Yes. Get tired of preseason. Yeah, no kidding. But, uh, I mean, thank goodness game one is here because, yeah, like you, we were a little sick and tired of preseason. You know, the Oilers, they're, they're such an established team now. They come into the season as one of the favorites. Do you feel like you really learned much of anything about them throughout the course of, of training camp or preseason? Or is it really just a case of, you know, we kind of know what to expect from this team and we'll see it when they hit the ice in game one? Yeah, no, nothing. I mean, when you, when you enter a camp in which there's only two jobs open, a fourth-line center and a, you know, question mark about a seventh defenseman, that's really... Uh, what are you going to learn, right? You know, all the main guys. We learned that Connor Brown, who's new, looks like he's ready to play, so that's good. We learned that Brandon Sutter, who uh, would have had the fourth-line center job here hands down, uh, couldn't get over the long COVID and had to retire. And about all the other guys, I haven't learned much because I think I know what, you know, we pretty much know them. Mark, do you expect Ekholm to play? Ah, he skated a long time after practice, Tom, mm. so no. I'm going to guess no. If he does, it'll be in a seventh defenseman role, but I would think if he was playing, he wouldn't have been out there that long, so my guess would be no. Is the How do the Oilers, do you think, manage Ekholm? I mean, we know how essential he was to, to them leveling up after that trade last year. Uh, presumably, you want him in the lineup, but also we all know that you know winning tonight's game is not exactly at the top of the Edmonton Oilers goal list for this season. Yeah, listen, like the most important thing is to have Ekholm, you know, healthy and ready to play for you. He doesn't have, as far as we understand, he doesn't have the kind of injury that's going to hinder his entire season. He's just getting a late start. So, um, you know, I'm going to say to you, and this isn't me talking, I guess I'll paraphrase for the orders. I think they feel like they can still win a game tonight if Ekholm doesn't even play. Uh, I'm not saying they think it's going to be easy, but, uh, you know, the Vancouver Canucks are missing Carson Soucy, and I would say that, relatively speaking, one is as important to his team as the other guy is, right? Yeah, that's probably that's probably fair. Um, you know, one of the other things to watch for the Oilers this year, uh, Speck, I think, is going to be the split in goal. Looks like it's going to be Campbell going tonight after, you know, Stuart Skinner kind of uh, took over the crease at times last year. How do you expect the, the coaching staff to manage the goalie situation this year for the Oilers? Well, you know, it's a, I have a, a weird theory on these goalies. Like, we're all in agreement now it's a – you know, it's a two-goalie league. You need two guys to get through the the season. There, no one's playing 64 games anymore. So 
So if we all agree on that with travel and all the packed-in games, how come we get to the playoffs and we expect one guy to play every single night in the playoffs? When do we switch the flip the switch and say, you know what, it's it, it might be there might be a start at least every series for the backup. So my point would be this: Campbell, if Campbell, I mean they're paying Campbell five million bucks, so he's supposed to not be the backup. Uh, Skinner was a Calder Trophy candidate last year, so he really stepped up, and they were happy to have that happen. Now you got if Campbell has improved his game, and it looks as if he had, he had a great preseason. He's his head's in a little bit of a different place, and certainly his game looks different. I mean, I would defer to Kevin Woodley on all this stuff, but uh, I would say to you, if they've got two good goalies, you know, they don't have a Thatcher Demko here who's far and away the number one. They got two guys, and let them battle it out. If they're both playing well. I guess you got a chance to win every night. Spec, how do you handicap the goaltending in the Pacific? Because it feels like every single team has question marks in net in this division. Well, and isn't that funny that the team that rode Logan Thompson and Aiden Hill. <laughs> hey, don't forget Lauren that... Brassois. No Brassois erasure on this program. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so we'd have ranked that trio like maybe at the bottom and they're all wearing Stanley cup rings. Yep. So, you know, anti Niemi won a cup, right? Rolled through, the, rolled through the Canucks, as I recall. And then he Anti- took bullets. Taking <laughs> now right. he's taking bullets. <laughs> so, you know, I'm guess I say to you that, you know, to me, the best goalie in the division, if he's healthy and right, is Thatcher Demko. But if he doesn't have a team in front of him, that can limit chances and play proper defense. It doesn't matter. You know, Markstrom's up and down. Like he mm. said, he wasn't very good last year. Nope. And I'm not sure, you know, let's hope that the real Markstrom shows up again this year for Calgary. And so I don't know what to tell you for goalies. If Aiden Hill can carry you to a cup, do I really need a five-star $7 million goalie in my net? Or do I need a good team that plays proper defense in front of whoever I put back there? It's it's so interesting to see the evolution in thinking here, right? Because the workhorse starter was was such a thing 15 years ago, and then even 10 years ago, you know, whether it was Luongo or Lundqvist or, I mean, Sergei Bobrovsky signed forever and for 10-plus, what, four years ago? And now, yeah. and now it's like, it seems like a lot of teams, like certainly L.A., we're totally comfortable letting someone else pay Jonas Corposalo and bringing in four maybes, uh, believing yeah. that they could cobble it together. Yeah. Is that, the, you know, I, I don't know, like, who has the solution? You know, who knows? I know the solution is this. I think we all agree on a couple things. Let's find things we can agree on. I think it takes two guys to get to the playoffs. I don't think yeah. you can play one guy. Six Would you be open so- to me suggesting it takes three? that you should build in, that you're actually going to have a third goalie who's going to need to play somewhere between 5 and 10, most likely? Mm. Okay, but you can't have you can't <laughs> think you're going to have an NHL veteran who's going to... You're not paying <laughs> NHL money to a number three. And if That's you're, my point. If you're good enough, I would say, Drance, you can survive 5 to 10 games of, of like emergency-level right. goaltending and still make the yeah. playoffs if the rest of your team is right. good enough. Uh, I think you need a third if guy. If your team's good enough, yeah. I totally agree. But I think you're dead on that you need you you got to figure out that okay you're going to ride you're going to have to ride two guys to get there cuz at the very least you want to have one fresh by the time you get there right Mark 
I do, and I think that you know. I, listen, I think the Oilers epitomize what we're talking about right now. Last mm. year in the playoffs, they rode mostly two guys. Skinner played more than Campbell. He took the number one job, fair and square. Then the playoffs start, and he got every single start. Mm. Yep, right, every single start, and his game deteriorated. He was getting tired, getting tired, and the coaching staff would not give Jack Campbell a start. He relieved in like four games and was excellent, but they wouldn't start him. And when it ended, Skinner had an 888 or something, and he wasn't good enough. Yep. And the coaching staff, in my opinion, should have had the foresight to, to start the other guy, start a fresh goalie. And to me, in the playoffs, I think he'd look at Bobrovsky. He wasn't a starter when the playoffs started last yep. year. Right? He became the starter. So I think we got to rethink a lot of this stuff. And, and you know what? I guess it's a project on the fly here. I, I'm so excited about this because I'm I, I, like, at what point do we get to an area where teams are treating goaltenders like NFL teams treat running backs or like pitchers, uh, relief pitchers are treated in baseball in, in terms of batteries and, and all sorts of odd um, uh, tactics from teams? I mean, suggesting that teams should be spot starting a backup in a playoff series is so anathema, and yet you get to the Western Conference Final last year, and it's like, well, Dallas has the goalie. And it's like, yeah, but he's playing game 85 through 91. And guess what? He's getting massively outplayed by a guy who's making his 31st, 32nd, 34th, you know, through 37th start. And that doesn't feel like a surprise, right? No, that's a fair point. And how much do you pay? Like, I think everyone agrees Bobrovsky at $10 million is way too much. Oh, yeah. Uh, but the Jets just signed Hellebuck for eight and a half. You know, how much do you pay one guy? Because if you have eight and a half on your starter, you can't have more than about a million on your backup. Mm. You know, Edmonton goes to goes into it here for the next few years. They've got two goalies at $7.6 million. That's what they're spending on the position. And you know what? That's probably fair. Like, that's probably not a bad way to look at it. Uh, but when Demko's contract comes up, either you pay him or you lose him. So what's it going to be? Yeah, it's a tough decision. <laughs> That's one. Fortunately, the Canucks don't have to deal with right now, but you're right. Down the road, it's going to be uh, a difficult you're one. You're adding another Canucks star for us to speculate about their <laughs> contract status spec? Come on. <laughs> oh. Let's stick to yeah, taking right. shots at anti we, we do enough of that on our own here. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, we're talking to Mark Spector of Sportsnet here at Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. So, you know, as we kind of mentioned, we all know what the expectations are for the Oilers this year. They're one of the top cup contenders, I think, in most people's books, certainly. Uh, in the NHL you know they go out in the second round to the Golden Knights last year and look there's no nothing to be ashamed of in that you lose to the defending or to the Stanley Cup champs eventually uh, that happens to a lot of teams right but what do you think uh, the the Oilers will take in terms of lessons or takeaways from that defeat to the Golden Knights last year well you know what they've lost it two years in a row now to the Stanley Cup champion and right. they went in the third round to Colorado the year before in the second round to Vegas and I've asked four or five guys which year do you think you were closer to the cup and it's unanimously last year mm. right everyone would say to you look we lost to Colorado they were way better than us mm. right we weren't beaten you know they'll tell you now they weren't beating Colorado they got beat four straight the abs were unbelievable they won a cup this Vegas series, you know, the Oilers were, uh, they were in a 2-2 series. They're playing game five in Vegas. They're up 2-1 in the second period with about six minutes to play, looking pretty good. 
All of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. By the time the third period starts, they're down by two goals. They never catch up. They lose the game six at home. It's over. You know, Aiden Hill plays his head off, and, mm. and they lose. And and when we talk about all the stuff you learn, you learn that when you play Colorado and they paid their dues and they're better than you, you just take it in the chin and you move on. When you're in the moment with Vegas and you're in their building and it's a crazy place and you take a penalty and you got to try to kill it and you got to get through the moment, and the Oilers weren't ready. They failed massively in that moment. And that defines what all the Tampas and the Colorados and the Vegases have learned. you got to go through it, fail at it, and when you get the chance next time, hopefully you succeed, and that's where they are. There's nothing left to learn here. This team's got good players. They're, all their positions are as good as they're going to be in a cap system, and they've learned all the lessons in all the different ways, and now it's time to show up at the dance and be ready to win. And that's who they think they are now. How have you seen the mentality and I, I would guess also the leadership of this group? Because this group has been together for a while now and you've been there covering it. How have you seen it change and develop over the years that, that they've been together in Edmonton? Well, it's, I mean, it's it, like everything in Edmonton, it starts with McDavid. Yeah. Right. This is the, was the youngest captain in the freaking history of the NHL, which we do to these kids, and it's dumb. He's not ready to be a captain at 18, which he was. He wasn't ready at 20. I'm not sure he was ready at 22. But now he's 26, right? He's got eight years in the league. He's, you know, if you've noticed his interviews, guys, and, and the way he comports himself, he's he's able now to, to, he's ready to be a captain, and he's a proper captain of this team. He obviously leads on the ice. Now he's ready to lead off. So you surround him with guys that get a little older. Drysaddle's older. Nurse is older. He's a really good leader. You bring in Matthias Ekholm, who's like, a, you know, just a pillar of a guy. Uh, you bring in Zach Hyman, who's a solid, solid citizen. He's been around. And before you know it, you got a captain that knows how to be a captain, and you surrounded him with a bunch of lieutenants that have been around, and they're not 21 anymore. They're all 28, 29, 30. And that's what those are the teams that win, right? You don't win when you draft first overall and your 18 year old's your captain. You win when that captain's 27. And that's what Connor McDavid is going to be when the playoffs start. Isn't it amazing, Spec? Have you experienced this over? I'm curious to know if this matches your experience, but isn't it amazing that the caliber of people in a locker room almost always seems to be aligned with the caliber of team. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Hockey's a weird sport, right? Yeah, it is. Hockey's a weird sport. Like a little bit of selfishness in me first in hockey. Like there's a guy like that on every team. Don't kid yourself. They're not all perfect mm. gentlemen, but it's a different sport. It's not basketball where three guys make you or break you. Look at the Oilers. They've had, Dreisaitl and McDavid all these years, they haven't won Jack. You know, so you look at the Canucks. They've got, they've got guys to build around in Hughes and Pedersen, and here comes Kuzmenko looks good, and we like Mikheyev, and we don't even know if they're going to make the playoffs this year, right? You need them all. You need them all. And until you get them all and you get the right guys, uh, you don't win in hockey. You might win in basketball or baseball, but you'll win in hockey. Yeah, you can maybe afford a knucklehead. <laughs> yep. Hey, you can have a knucklehead. In fact, sure. I, th I think you might need one. <laughs> I 
think I don't mind important. having a knucklehead on a team, right? <laughs> well, I think, but I think especially if you have the strong leadership from the non-knuckleheads, it's fine. Great, you have a couple knuckleheads because oh. they know where they stand in relation to the, the leaders in the room, right? Oh, listen, for sure. Like every team, you know, I always like to, you know, who's, I mean, give me a version. Who was the knucklehead on the 2011 uh, Vancouver Canucks? Rafi Torres. Was it Rafi Torres? No, okay. I mean, I mean, yeah. honestly, it was in terms of internal dynamics, it was probably Kessler. Yeah, but he was such a good player. Maybe a Lapierre. Lapierre came came to mind. I don't know. It's you know, yeah. But the point is, you have him, like yeah. a, a guy like a Cassian, sure. who who in his prime, who takes some dumb penalties. We get it. But he'll also knock your lights off if you mess with a Pedersen and McDavid. I'll have that guy in my team. I don't care how much a knucklehead he is. <laughs> now it's opening day. <laughs> which is like a famous hockey predictions day. Um, we love to do a thing on this program where we ask <laughs> writers to tier the Pacific Division. Our guests, we every, every guest must tier something. Um, and and w- I was figuring I'd ask you, can I get you to tier, give us your order, rank the Pacific Division teams. And by the way, I want to be clear, not in terms of how they'll finish the regular season, but in terms oh. of how good they actually are, right? Like a ranking of... Who, by the end of the year, you least want to face come playoff time? Pacific Division 1 through 8. Go. Oh, boy. Go. <laughs> <laughs> well, the top's, the top's easy for me. It's Edmonton and Vegas. Just mm. Pick them whatever order you want. Yep. yep. You know, as Edmonton, I like Edmonton a lot, but also they didn't win a cup. Vegas did. Uh, L.A. keeps coming at you. Dubois is going to make them better, so they're yep. in my teams you don't want to play in the first round. Now the second tier. The second tier for me is Calgary. Because I think with Sutter out of there and a lighter atmosphere and some guys that have signed, and I think they're going to be better than you think. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so Seattle's alone, test- alone in the second tier. No, they get to play with Seattle. Okay. And now we're into the third tier, and I think Vancouver's the best team in the third tier. I don't have Vancouver as a playoff team. I hope I'm wrong. I like you know. I always say this about the Leafs, and I'll say it about the Canucks. The playoffs are a better place when Vancouver's in them because mm. it's a fun playoff market but i don't think they'll make it and then uh after that who am i missing did i get them all no now we're into the californians the anaheims and san jose's yeah yeah so they don't even count (laughs) they're they're in the don't even count tier no they don't even count Uh, did you watch did, did you watch any of the games last night by the way spec yeah, quite a bit of them. Yeah, I yeah. did. I watched so a lot good. of periods of hockey. <laughs> I, I want to get your your take on this because I was watching Vegas and everything they were generating was off the rush. Like this is a they looked like the Showtime Lakers. Like this was not the Vegas team. I, I mean, we saw it in the playoffs, but it's not the Vegas team certainly that we've become accustomed to over a large sample of say like the last four or five years. This is this is a team that's far more dangerous offensively than what we're than what we become accustomed to before Bruce Cassidy. And and I just I, it's one game, it's an overreaction, but I'm curious to to get your take on this. I was watching. Well, I, them. I think we saw a lot of that team. This isn't a cycle team. That, no. That, or as a dirty goal after being in your no. zone for 40 seconds, you know? No. They, and it starts def- it starts in their end. They defend, man. They'll let you cycle on them. Like mm-hmm. McDavid said after the series last year, he said this to someone who said it to me, he said, I have the puck all the time. They let me have the puck. But I had a really hard time taking it to places where I could do something effective with it. I'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. them, but yep. they let them skate around the outside a whole bunch, and 
Vegas is very good in their own zone. You'll notice this year all the all the uh, nerds are are posting diagrams of how teams are starting to copy uh, the right. system that Vegas uses in their own zone, and that's a, the ultimate compliment. Yeah. So they defend the hell out of you, and when they get a chance, they go, and they got some guys that can score. You know, they that's what you call a good hockey team here, pal. That's why they win the cup. With with the game last night. I was wondering, though, you know how you see sometimes a team that is, like, right in the mix for years and years, and then they win, right? And then they get over the hump, and then they know they can win. And there's, like, a different sort of swagger to them, and, and it's almost like they level up. They might not repeat, but it, but it's almost like they level up in terms of how imposing yep. they feel yes. game to game. And Vegas felt like that to me watching game one. What what do you, what do you think? What, what are the odds that uh, we – not that Vegas is going to repeat, but that we see an almost more imposing side from them this year than well, we did last year. You know, like Hoff, for some reason, and I hear about this in my town all the time, everyone wants to hope that the Oilers are Tampa, who failed and failed and failed, mm. and then won, mm. and then continued to win. Or Vegas. Vegas got to a cup already, but they didn't win. You know, they've been good since they started, but they haven't won till now, or you know, Colorado, how many times did they knock on the door, man? What, what is it with hockey, right? You know, there's there's not many one-offs in hockey. I'm sure you could find me one over the years, but, oh, boy, there's not many of them. Why is it? Why do we have to knock on the door for so long? I'm, I'm, I'm asking you. I'm oh, not okay. telling you. you know, I don't you, know the you reason You know I it. think I have an answer. I'm not certain it's the right one. You but always I... have an answer. <laughs> That's why I love coming on your show. No, I, I, I mean, I think it's just that, playoff outcomes are so variable like in hockey it's so hard for true talent to show over a, over a period of time as short as seven games I mean go look at the Ted Nolan Buffalo Sabres one of the worst teams of my lifetime and even they went you know uh, had a run of 15 games in the season where they went 13 and 2 right like literally the worst team in hockey can reel off a, a, a solid win streak and and if it happens in the spring you know, it, it makes your team look an awful lot different. Likewise, the best team in hockey can lose four in a row, just like their goalie gets hurt, there's an injury, there's a deflection off a skate in overtime, and boom, your season's done. And I just think the mark of a great team ultimately isn't whether you get through the playoffs because the playoff format's a bad way of testing how good a team is. I think it's a phenomenal entertainment product. I just think it's a bad way of testing how good a team is from a true talent standpoint. And so I think your best chance of winning is to like give yourself eight kicks at the can and eventually the chips will fall in your direction. That, that That's my take on it anyway. Well, if Ken Holland was in this conversation, he'd he agree would with totally me. agree with yeah, you. Yeah, I know. I he know. I've totally had the conversation with, with him. Right. He feels the same way. You know, first of all, there's a couple things there. Let, let you think that the, the hockey playoffs – aren't a true test because maybe there's not enough of them or not enough games. How about baseball? They're playing oh, I know. Three, best of five. Yeah. Baltimore Orioles got three playoff games. They were the best team in the AL over 162. Best of, best of three in the first round back after 162 Well, I know, games. but the point, yeah. right? Best of threes. And, and like I say, the Orioles' reward for being the best was they got swept in three. Yeah, so, it's wild. Well, baseball, it, anything truly can happen in the playoffs. Um, cause but you at almost, least we're playing seven games in our sure, like, Yeah, For sure. I'm going to tell you that if I, my team beats yours in the seven-game series, it's not a fluke. Like, you beat me in a seven-game series, you're the better team at least that month. Yeah. If not all around yeah no i and i i accept that too also i'd change absolutely nothing about the nhl playoff format i just think it's 
it, it's more about like I don't I don't I just don't like to react too much to playoff results in terms of changing how I feel about a team. I do think the regular season is a better way of judging how good a team is, but I still want the champion to win the cup and go through the gauntlet. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Sample size, baby. Yeah. <laughs> you might have heard of that. Uh Spec, we'll let you go. Really appreciate it. As always, uh enjoy the game tonight. Enjoy your uh, your stay in Vancouver. We'll talk again soon. All right, see you boys at the rink tonight. Yeah, see you tonight, bud. That is Mark Spector from Sportsnet covering the Mark Spector with the most progressive goalie takes you'll ever hear. Like, a backup should start one game of playoff series? Let's go. He's into it. I I love it. it. I'm I'm like, I'm thrilled. I I wish you could understand how big I'm smiling right now. It's like, and and then I was like, you know, he's like, it's a two-goalie league. I'm like, oh, I got to see. I'm going to push gotta see if he's I'm gonna ready. push the envelope. I got to see if he's ready for my three-goalie league. And you even, I thought take. you were kind of trying to bait him there at the end with the, like, you know, it doesn't really, you know, the playoffs don't really tell you oh, anything about how good teams are. And he, no. even he was like, yeah, Ken Holland agrees with you. Yeah, no, I know Ken Holland agrees with no. me. But, I, I mean, it's not, like, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be celebrating teams no, that no, do no, no, well no, no, in the playoffs. No, no. Yeah. Um, and I do think there are teams that are, like, better built for that style of hockey. Um it's just that it's just that you know in terms of actually like being scientific and, and objective about judging team quality I, I think it's important not to over I don't think there's nothing to the like like to use the ex- the most famous extreme example right the Tampa example like I'm sure they did take something from getting swept by Columbus. oh yeah you know like I don't think it's I don't I don't I think sometimes we look for that narrative where it maybe doesn't apply and we try to stretch it and make it apply in every case but I have no doubt that that was a really pivotal moment for them and that they it, it did meaningfully change how they prepared and played and everything the next couple of years it's a different type of hockey like yeah. it's tournament hockey you your coach needs to be more reactive like you mm. need to be in the regular season you can let things play out and like gain data but in you have to be on it you have to be more proactive in making changes in addressing vulnerabilities in hiding your own vulnerabilities. Um, the, the way that the game is called changes, especially as you yep. get later on into series, ma- managing the emotions of playing on the road in, in incredibly intense buildings changes and the quality of competition ramps up, right? Like a lot of times people will say like, this guy can't do it, get it done in the playoffs because their point totals in the playoffs are lower. Yeah. But like, that's natural. Actually playoff points or regular season points are only worth historically like 0.7 points in the playoffs because all of a sudden, guess what? It's Zdeno Chara seven games. Yeah. Like it's hard to light up Zdeno prime Zdeno Chara. So, you know, the game changes. I do think there's, and and you don't get a lot of time to learn how to play that game. Mm. You know, it's the regular season. You get 82 games a year playoffs. You might get four, you might get zero. So I, I do think, I do think there's an element to which teams have to adjust to it, um, and and I think that that's partly why you see the learning curve. But fundamentally, it's about probability. It's about extending your window and maximizing your chances at taking uh, at taking those kicks of the can. Which is not to say the playoffs is inc- is entirely random, because as we know, like once you get through the first couple rounds, there's a truth serum team there mm-hmm. that will reveal your flaws in a hurry. Uh, we will take a break. Final segment coming up. I want to hear from Rick Tockett uh, on ga- on a Canucks game day and talk about some of the things we saw around the league. Three games on the slate yesterday. We'll get into that here. Final segment coming up here. Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. <laughs> Stock Sportsnet 650, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance, live from the Kintech Studio. 650, 650, 
is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Tune in to the Sportsnet Radio Friday Soccer Report brought to you by Cassiero Del Diablo Wines and the Way to Be a Legend contest. The chance to win a once-in-a-lifetime trip to England for the ultimate Manchester United experience, including a chance to play a football game at Old Trafford where Manchester United legends will make an appearance. No purchase necessary. Conditions apply. Must be legal drinking age. Cassiero Del Diablo, available at BC Liquor. Please enjoy responsibly. Enter in store or visit CassieroManchester.com. By the way, while we're promoting things, uh, Satyar Shah and Dan Riccio, the hosts of Canuck Central, live on location today at the Park Casino, uh, just next door to Rogers Arena. So if you're downtown before the game, they're on from 4 to 7. You can stop in, uh, you can say hi, and uh, make sure you tune in anyways uh, to all of our pregame and game day coverage here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, And speaking of game day coverage, Rick Tockett, Speaking to the media, giving us some injury updates, and talking about game one of the season against the Oilers. Here is the coach of the Canucks. A couple guys skated early this morning, so it'll be game time on a couple guys, but uh, they, they skated early, early today. Any, they got to take one more test. Any any chance McKayev plays tonight? Uh, no, no. This weekend, maybe? Uh, he's progressing. I don't want to pin it, but he's, you know, he's obviously close. He's, he's been working really hard. So will you have a full complement then of four lines of forwards and, and full sets of D? We'll know at 7 o'clock, you know, tonight. I mean, we got a couple of guys who got to test one, uh, next hour or two. They're doing one more test. I guess Luger would be in that. You mentioned the other day you expected him back on the ice. Because... <clears throat> Sorry. You expected Bluger back on the ice because he said it was hard to keep him off the practice ice. Is he one of those guys that's testing himself for tonight? Yeah, we got to get a test on him. You know, he's a heart and soul type of guy, but we, I don't want to jeopardize him, so we'll see how he feels later. Um, you know, he's still going to get six hours, so we'll see. You probably didn't imagine this when you guys went to training camp because you're so looking forward to a full camp, yeah. a full preseason, having a full roster, and yet you get thrown this curveball. How much of it is an adjustment for you as a coach? Well, I, whether it's the opening night or it's in December, whether it's March or April, um, you're dealt these type of things sometimes. Adversity hits, you know. We went through the flu bug and stuff, but... Th- Every team goes through this stuff. It's you know just more magnified as it's opening night. You know if it's in December, you know it's probably not as magnified. But because it's opening night, it's more magnified. We asked JT Miller, um, "Is this a better team than a year ago?" And of course, you don't want a player doesn't want to answer that question. Right. But he did he did admit that because of a full camp with you and a full training camp, maybe the team is better positioned than it was before in terms of structure and understanding what has it. Do you agree with that in terms of well, your I, time here? I think players want to know where, you know where to be in certain situations. I think they've kind of – we're still getting there, but I think they have an understanding where to be in certain situations. Obviously, the PK was some a major stuff that had to be addressed here over the years. And that's one of the positives we came out of camp, you know, um, where we, we had, you know, full bunch of guys that could penalty kill. And um, – that was one of our bright spots in camp. We, we did well in the penalty kill. Was uh, Susie one of the guys that skated this morning? Yeah, he was. He went early. So, like I said, it's it's gonna be the feel, you know, type of thing. Uh, on Aikido, you know, if, yeah. if he plays, what 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 do you need to see from him? Because we only he only played one preseason game. Yeah, 
you know, why is he the choice to be the guy that comes back up? Uh, hockey IQ. You're playing a, a team of Edmonton that throws a lot of different looks at you, and you need hockey IQ. Obviously, you want people to squash plays. I get it, but there's certain setups that they do. You need you need brains out there, and he has them. You know, um, I think him coming up last year playing, uh, I forget how many games he played, uh, seven. I think that was big, big for us. You know, we listen. I know we were in the playoffs, and there are different type of levels of game, but he still played NHL games. So um, I just feel he gives us a better opportunity to go in there tonight. Why, why didn't you take a longer look at him in preseason, given all that? Well, a couple. Of, we had a couple of the guys. You know, we wanted. You know, we only had six exhibition games. I wanted to make sure we had some of our regulars had four months off, so I wanted to get their, them in there. Um, so it's you got to find that sweet spot and. Um, couple other guys, we gave them a longer look. We thought they would, to be honest, be ahead, and they weren't. And um, this is kind of what we're at now. If you do go with 11 forwards, uh, how do you work with the rotations on getting uh, even ice time and not yeah. overplaying certain players? Yeah, no, uh, if that happens tonight, uh, it's happened before a couple times with me, and it's uh, you got to really be strategic. Right, um, Lafferty is a can play center, which is good. I like the fact that we have a lot of hybrids. Guys can play wing and center, so you know he can spell Millers and PD and, and Suter. So I got to make sure um, we got two days off between our next game. Um, we had five days off. Some guys are going to play 20, 22 minutes. They can handle it. So I'm not really worried about that. And sometimes guys play better, you know, when they get in the game more. You know, I don't think you want a steady die of it, but. For a game, it's okay. Uh, we've heard Elias kind of rise up to the challenge a lot of time to play against some of the best players in the world. Is is that what you're hoping for tonight against McDavid and Dreisaitl? Yeah, I mean, your best players want to play against the other best players, right, and show what they got. Yeah, the, the you know, I know Huggy, they're just chomping a bit to play. And you're playing against a team that, uh, you know, is one of the favorites to win the Cup. they got two of the best players that, you know, they're not saying it, but obviously they, 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 they feel they have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. So why not me- measuring stick right now? That's awesome for us. I think this is a great challenge, and uh, it's, it, it should be fun for us. You know, we should embrace it. I'm sure there's some excitement from the players, but from just speaking to them, it felt like business. Like, is that the mentality of you guys heading into tonight? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, as a coach, you've got to kind of temper it, too, because you, it's not – you know, you're not pushing your chips in all this game, and you know the, I know after the game, whatever happens, happens. But you want to make sure the guys aren't over, you know, excited or or they're nervous. Or you know, you got to handle pressure. You know, 82 games. And this is just one of those 82 games. Yeah, it's opening night, and there's a little bit of a buzz, but you still got to make sure that you're still even keel, but also competitive. Like make sure you know there's a lot of passion in our game tonight. Rick, as a former player, what do you admire when you see McDavid and Dreisaitl ninth season together? The numbers are staggering. Yeah. Uh, 1,585 points, over 600 goals, 16 NHL awards between the two of them. What do you admire as a former player? And then when you look at tape, trying to game plan for these guys, can you? Yeah, I, I, I really respect, obviously, both of them. Connor's uh, 200-foot game is last couple of years. Even in the playoffs, I watch him hitting, you know, being the first guy in a back check intercepting a pass it's not about goals and assists he even says it. I mean, he's going to get his points let's face it but his two-way game is incredible I've never seen a guy play both ends of the rink and obviously dry sells a horse out there um, you know they they rely on them a lot over the years and uh, they've delivered under pressure that's what I remember guys that can play under pressure and uh, they're hungry you can tell 
Can you defend him? Well, I mean, there's certain things that we're going to try to do. I mean, uh, you try to contain. There's going to be some situations where, you know, you're not going to have everybody to defend him, and we're going to have to make sure that we give the worst option for him. You know, we can't give him the grade, grade, grade A's. But there's going to be – he's going to get his looks. we just got to temper those looks and make sure he goes into our coverage, not where we have one guy naked with him. I mean, that's where he'll kill you. Rick, I think uh, last year the intro video for the Canucks before the game was up for an SB, I think, for one of the best videos of the year. Do you have any acting skills that you're going to show tonight in the intro video? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I was in there for about two, maybe a second. Nobody wants to see me. Yeah, it's, I got the flyby. I get I'd probably get like $2, $2 from Saga, whatever they pay you. I don't, I don't get much. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett speaking to the media after the game day escape for the Canucks uh, this morning at Rogers Arena and uh, joking a little bit about the Canucks hype video that they'll debut tonight. It's one of the things this organization is most oh, consistent at delivering. Yeah. Like, some, uh, some, it's going to be awesome. Some sharp-eared listeners might have uh, sussed out the theme of this one based on our show and the tests going on in the background of our show yesterday. Mm. But I don't want to spoil it. Mm. I won't spoil it for everyone. No, nor should you. No. They, they, these videos are... No, because there's so much work that goes into them. There's so much work that goes into them, and this team does them arguably the best in, in the entire league. Uh, I mean, you know, you want you want something to be unreservedly positive about. The Canucks hype videos yeah, are incredible. They are great. Uh, and I look forward to seeing tonight's... Um, you know, just a couple of other notes in there, right? Talking about uh, Akita Hirose's hockey IQ, uh, you know, ad- adversity hitting this team early and how they deal with it, which is something I'm really curious to see as well. Now that I can't, I just I can't help but think about Jim Rutherford's commentary about everything needing to go right, and now here's Rick Tockett speaking about adversity on the first night of the season. So that's going to be fascinating to monitor. All right, there were three games. Uh, on day one of the NHL season last night. Uh, three pretty interesting affairs, something to really dig into in all three. And, uh, you know, Canucks not in action, but still plenty of things to take away. And maybe we'll start with the um, the two Pacific Division teams going up against each other. I know you mentioned it a little bit with uh, Mark Spector, but the Golden Knights, comfortable 4-1 win over the Seattle Kraken, and if there was going to be a Stanley Cup hangover, not noticeable for the Vegas Golden Knights on game one of the season. No, I'm more worried about the Golden Knights having leveled up. Mm. Honestly, I, I thought they I thought they were great. And I thought they were great in particular because you're right, it was a comfortable win, and yet I thought Seattle played really well, <laughs> which is scary, right? Like, it's one thing to defeat a team clearly when they're not great when they're not at their best but I thought Seattle was game I thought they were up for it I thought they played pretty well I thought they dictated the tempo of the first period mm. and then the period ends and, and Vegas is up to nothing albeit with a second goal that Marcheseau goal uh, which I think was pretty fortunate um, that's scary man like Vegas looks scary uh, here's my big takeaway though uh, at least from a Canucks perspective one 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 Positive Canuck-centric takeaway from the fact that I watched two Pacific Division teams look really good against one another on opening night. I thought the Kraken looked like they missed Carson Soucy. All right. Interesting. Um, You know, Carson Soucy, like one strength of Soucy's game is defending the rush. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rick Tocca talks about a little bit like how he wants his team to defend the rush 
uh, the idea of defending while skating forward, right? Which, which really he's talking about squeezes, blue line squeezes, um, effective surfing at the blue line. Um, that's a strength of Susie's game, like a significant one, especially given his physical profile. He doesn't profile necessarily as a guy you'd immediately think of being like a really strong neutral zone defender, but he is. Yeah. And, you know, his replacement last night, Brian Dumoulin, um, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, 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 I'm reminded of, you know, when you open the fridge and there's um, a milk in there uh-huh. and you're not sure if it's past its best sure. before date or maybe it's a do, little bit after. But you do the smell test. But it smells okay. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It smells okay. It smells okay enough and you want milk in your coffee badly enough that you're going to take it out of the fridge and, and give it a sample. I don't think Ron Francis should have <laughs> sipped on that particular cup of milk. You um, think Dumoulin is is well past his best before I do. Date. I yeah. do. And and I thought the way Vegas was effective on the counter, uh, two of their goals coming against uh, the Dumoulin Borgen pair. Uh, you know, I I just I worry that they're going to miss Susie, and I worry that the their vulnerability against the rush might be a little stickier. Uh, as a result, partly of losing Susie, and, and also partly as a result of them deciding to be as patient as they've been with Riker Evans, mm. who I think could step in and, and effectively fix that issue uh, immediately if it's uh, if it's something that lingers for them. Or it might have just been the Golden Knights playing, you know, Showtime Lakers Well, hockey. that's what I was wondering. Like, how would it have looked against a team that wasn't operating at such a high level at yeah. that thing specifically, well, like so, Vegas was? And so these are all way too early takeaways. Of I'm course. not saying that yeah. I'm concerned about Seattle's rush defense, but in an area of the game that one of their departures excels at. Um, you know, they, they struggled in, in their opening game of the season. So one Canucks-centric takeaway I had from that Pacific Division tilt, other than, man, I Vegas think Vegas is really good. Other than, well, and, and I think Seattle's really good, too. Like, other than the fact that I think the Pacific – well, and here's the other thing. You watch the first game, you watch the second game, mm-hmm. and then the level's way higher mm. for that Pacific Division tilt, and I think that's a preview of something you, you should come to expect. Like – I would recommend if any of you guys are going to be, you know, uh, Sportsnet Plus premium junkies today and watch like a bunch of hockey, watch the pace level up as the games as the game starts get later. I'm serious. I'm yeah. serious. I think the Pacific Division is just going to be an absolute gauntlet, and I thought we saw a taste of that as well last night. But, but uh, the King, Kraken looked like they missed Susie. Kings Avs tonight. Not pure Pacific Division, but two interesting Western Conference teams. Mm. In addition to all the Canadian matchups tonight, that's a pretty tasty one uh, on the menu. You mentioned the first game, uh, Lightning-Preds. And I know, I think you're higher on the Preds than I am. I thought I've, they looked pretty good. Well, this is the thing. But they had the dreadful start yeah. where they were just getting shelled and couldn't slow Tampa down at all. And then they turned it around and really pushed the pace. And like let, the shot clock was like, what, like 15 to 2 at one point? And ends up basically even in that game. And yeah, score effects or whatever. But they really did end up taking control oh, and they took a of lead. that game for long stretches. Yeah. And it's like, I just can't decide which part of that Nashville team is going to win out over the course of 82 games. You know what yeah. I mean? Like the early one that really struggled or the one that like, hey, up-tempo, guys playing fun hockey. Like, I, I don't know which I think is going to be victorious. I think a mix, yeah. honestly. Uh, you know, but I do think you're going to see moments from guys like Novak and Parsonen and um, Evangelista. Like, I do think that team's going to be a tougher out. I mean, if you watch the first 20 minutes, you would have said Tampa's going to win this going away. Yeah. And then Nashville leads early in the third. Mm-hmm. You know, so... I mean, I do think that that team's plucky. I just like, yeah, it didn't help me 
And obviously it's one game. It shouldn't move the needle that much for me, but like it didn't help me solidify my Preds take at all. You know what I mean? Like I no. saw like, oh, okay, if you squint, I could see it. But then I was also like, oh, there's some things that really concern me uh, with, with this team. <laughs> that Tampa power play is just so good. Yeah. Oh, they're just so good. I, I mean, I know Edmonton's historically good, but the, the machine-like precision that that Tampa Bay uh, power play operates in, uh, just a ton of fun to watch. Um, Bedard. Yeah, he he's pretty good. I I thought so here's another one for you. Canuck centric. This is a, this is definitely categorized this under like I'm not confident it's a game one takeaway. Okay. Right? But I think Chicago might be competent. I'm not saying good. All right. I'm not saying good. But like maybe 70ish, 75ish points as opposed to 60-ish. Like, I think that team might be a tougher out than people realize. Interesting. I really do. I Because well, I, I don't think Pittsburgh, like, I know there's a lot of Pittsburgh's old, Pittsburgh's slow commentary. I don't think Pittsburgh, like, Pittsburgh played a pressure game, and I thought that was the best thing they did. They controlled and dictated that entire game. Um, they just couldn't get the third one past Peter Morazic for no reason. <laughs> and, uh, and Chicago kind of stole it late. Uh, Jason Dickinson with the Jason goal, by Dick- the way. Who else? The Jason Dickinson glow up. People still, by the way, when the Canucks make trades that I like, people are like, yeah, but he liked the Dickinson trade. And it's like, okay, I can't even be positive the right way, huh? <laughs> um, but I'm telling you now, like, Jason Dickinson being a totally credible third line center all season long, getting traded to a playoff team and having some sort of signature contribution late into May is like, the lock of the century because this guy is not a bad player. He's not. He's just not what he was that one season in Vancouver. That doesn't reflect who he is as a guy. Nice to see him come through. Uh, so Bedard, I mean, look, the oh, right. know, he picks up the second. <laughs> I, mean, I, I love that you're like, let's talk about Connor Bedard. But here's my t- Jason Dickinson take. My God. You know, no, exactly. You know, you know I have Canucks on the brain. Um, but Connor Bedard, look, I like to me, it was he like, was amazing. yeah, he was, he was incredible. He, he was, was awesome. And I, I know he didn't score a goal, but I felt, more confident about my over 31 and a half goal. It's like he's instantly one of the most dangerous offensive players out there. His skill through the neutral zone being like high end elite right from day one is, yeah. is amazing. I, I look, I think you saw though, that there are going to be some things that he needs to figure out. Like it didn't feel like he could get his shot off. Mm. Uh, he, well, no, no, no. I mean, he, he had five had, shots on had, goal. I know. I know. He had the rush chance where he sort of like arrived late on a loose puck. Mm-hmm. Couldn't score there. That was a glorious opportunity. And then he had the rush chance later where he sort of got fed and it was like right in front of um, Tristan Jari. And I just don't think he got what he wanted on it. Um, but that was also a, a five alarm chance. And then a lot of the other shots were from outside. Yeah. And first of all, Connor McDavid's more dangerous from outside than than average. But... Connor Bedard. What did I say? McDavid. I've, I've got McDavid it's too confusing. Bedard, though, is going to figure out how to, like, make guys move out of the space that he wants to move into. And I, I, I do think with against a pretty good defensive team and, and a pretty well-coached team playing a high-pressure game, I do think they kept him to the outside a fair bit in game one, which isn't to say that everyone's going to be able to do that or that Bedard's not going to solve that really quickly. Um, but I thought it was interesting. Like now we get to watch 
a maestro figure it out. Yeah, we get to and watch him adjust. that's part of the excitement. And I think he will adjust, oh, and he will figure it I out. And again, it's not like he was bad. He was really good. He started, like, he's adjusting from an already really good level. That, that secondary assist was sick. Dude. And I also just think... little pop pass to Seth Jones. You know, if awesome. we're just talking about, like, what his raw totals are going to be, what do he play, 21 and a half minutes? Yeah. Like, the whole, everything Chicago Filter is doing yeah. is about, like, organizationally coaching, lineup construction, deployment, all of it is about setting him up for success. You know what I mean? He is going to play a ton. They're, they're not going to be like, hey, you're shooting too much. You need to get into better areas, so we're we're, we're, we're toning it down. They're going to put him in a position to succeed and rack up points well, this whole year. Well, and I think they're – I mean, I think they might be better than we expect, too. I think they might at least be like a credible NHL team, which, by the way, probably isn't the best thing for them. Um, but I liked their young defenders. I, I didn't like their young defenders play in zone. But who who likes young defenders plays in <laughs> no, zone? Very rare. But like Kevin Kurczynski, I thought looked the part of an NHL defenseman. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I liked a lot of what I saw from Chicago, uh, and Bedard was you know obviously among those things. I just think we're going to see him figure things out, and and I do think you could see where the learning curve was going to be really quickly, and and I think that's fun too. It's because he's going to be incredible. He's going to be really good. He looked awesome last night. But yeah, I th- and I think and I think that's really those are my main Canucks centric takes. The Pacific. And all of these, I want to note, way too early to read as yeah. much into the preliminary I'm going to. takes here. But I think the Pacific's going to be a gauntlet. I think the West is going to be better. Like what we saw from both Nashville and Chicago, mm. uh, I think that's grist for the mill. That the the West in general, uh, even the, even the teams you might think are bad, are, are maybe going to be a little bit better than you expect. I, th- I think we're going to see something similar from Anaheim too, and then. Um, and then, man, I think the Kraken are going to miss Carson Soucy big time. And that'll be a boon to the Canucks defending the rush. Tell when you they, that much. When, when they get him in back, the lineup. Um, which might be tonight, apparently. Apparently. are you? Are, would you be concerned about that? Uh, I don't that know. he's I rushing would, back? No, not necessarily. Okay. If they, if like, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt here. If it was Mikheyev, I would be concerned. I don't know. We, don't, we just have so little information about Soucy. Yeah. I would be surprised if he plays tonight. Me too. Given that they have six other healthy and they defensemen, called up Perosi. Yeah, yeah, I would be very surprised, but you never know. Um, I did think it was interesting that Tockett uh, ha- was hedging on McKayev's availability. Didn't sound like it was like, oh, he'll definitely be ready to go for the weekend. It was kind of, oh, we'll see. You know, don't want to pin a date, but he's progressing. But I, I'd, something I, to watch. I, I'd, I'd imagine we don't see him till Florida. Yeah. Uh, all right, we will wrap it up there. It is Canucks game day, so keep it locked right here for all of your coverage. It is Sportsnet six fifty.